I was surprised when Heineken went ahead with the acquisition of Distel based on a couple of things. Um, it had, of course, created the Sedibang Brewery. Um, near Vereniging and had done, I think, fairly well out of the Sedibank Brewery. It had plans to build a second brewery in KZN. And then, of course, COVID happened. The nutty booze ban happened. And then Heineken discontinued those plans. And I thought it was going to be then just simply brewing some Heineken and some Vintuk based in, in Sedibank. And then they came out with a pitch for Distel. It took them 18 months to get it through the painful regulatory process. And they paid a fortune for the asset of Distel, but I'd been party to a conversation between the finance director of Heineken, which is a Dutch-based brewing company, second biggest brewer in the world now, um, after AB InBev, and Tito Moeni was in the room, Ebram Patel was in the room, somebody else, Naledi Pandor was in the room, and it was a government meeting with, with investors, and Patrice Motsepe had dragged me into this meeting rather than give me an interview, because he doesn't like to give interviews. Um, and I sat quietly at the back uh, with rapt attention, and the finance director of Heineken was saying, please give me some assurance on load shedding. Your load shedding is really hurting us, she said. And what about water quality? We're worried about water quality. And I thought to myself, this is no way that these guys will ever throw more money at South Africa. And then they did. Heineken did it anyway. It was all part of a long-term Africa growth strategy. It's all well and good, but in the short term, what they've done is write down the value of their investment by a massive 10 billion rand. Basically, what they're saying is this business is worth 16% less than we thought it was. Evan Walker at 361 Asset Management. And again, not a huge deal in the life of Heineken, which is a multi-billion euro business, but quite a big deal in the terms of South Africa and the signals that it sends in terms of foreign direct investment, Evan. Yeah, 100%, Bruce. I think as you rightly said at the onset, um, you know, these companies take a long-term view and, you know, their analysis normally takes them a couple of years up front. And in, in, in that analysis, they obviously just put in some very simple assumptions, and that's just assumptions around volume and around pricing. And obviously, as we know, this market is exceptionally tough at the moment, and the consumers are feeling the pinch. So you've got to pull back some of those assumptions, and some of those assumptions uh, the accountants don't let you run with, and you have to impair the asset which you rightly paid a lot of money for. So yes, um, you know, businesses make mistakes. They probably really do buy at the wrong period in, in cycles. Um, and obviously, we came out of COVID you know, sort of scheming on the upward. I mean, the projections after COVID were very strong uh, as people rushed back to stores to stock up again. So it looked incredibly good for a short period, uh, but it's fallen off a little bit of a cliff of late as, you know, as consumers have sort of normalized their consumption patterns. This is not just South Africa, funny enough. I mean, this is a lot of territories that we Heineken carefully. Uh, we did have a big position in the portfolios of Heineken a long time back. Uh, so it's a stock that we watch carefully. We know it. We know what they do in Vietnam. We know what they do around the world. It's a very, very good business with a very good brand and very good long-term pricing dynamics, I think. But it does require a more affluent customer base, um, and hopefully we'll eventually get there. But for now, I think the South African market is going to be under a little bit of stress. And, and it, it is sending a signal to other investors to say, be careful what you pay for businesses in South Africa, because... The, the environment is not always as supportive as you might hope it will be when you go into the, the deal that, that eventually you do ink after all of, uh, all of that research. 100%, Bruce. I mean, as we know, um, these businesses are notoriously bad at timing 
you know, entry and exit strategies as, as, as our companies are moving offshore. And you've written about that extensively and talked about it. Um, I think in this case, you know, in Heineken's case, they've been hit with a little bit of a double whammy in terms of obviously load shedding, which was there and it's got worse. But then I think, again, the currencies and these African currencies, I mean, we saw, that, we saw them right off their Nigerian assets virtually to zero. Uh, and again, that currency has taken a huge hit in what is probably at the extremes of, of dollar, of dollar um, interest rate cycles. And obviously, a lot of these African countries borrow in dollars. Now, we're not as affected, South Africa, in terms of dollar borrowings. So our currency hasn't blown by 50, 60, 70 percent, as we've seen a lot of these African countries. But still, we've had a quarter to 11 percent over the last sort of 14 months on a depreciation against the dollar, not so bad against the euro. Um, But certainly, you know, um, that does hurt their assumptions. Where it also hurts brutes is obviously on the input pricing assumptions, because obviously we know barley, wheat and a lot of ingredients go into the manufacture of of, uh, of beer, and there again, the translation effect of those of those dollar input prices back into the commodity hurts their gross margins, which again hurts their profitability. And it would also dissuade them. I mean, if they were ever intending in building that second brewery in KZN, um, I can't imagine it's top of their agenda right now. Not only did they get stung by the vagaries of our booze ban, uh, but now suddenly the business that they bought in Distel and everything else that they own in South Africa isn't as worth as much as they once thought. And they would look at the setup costs, the startup costs of a brand new brewery, perhaps with different eyes now. Yeah, again, I think it's, I think that the Stell deal was premised not just on South Africa, obviously, as you said, but rightly the distribution arm of the Stell, which has done a very good job through Africa. And I think they were looking yeah. to piggyback off some of that. And I think there are going to be benefits for Heineken in the long term for that. But I certainly think in the shorter term, you know, you're going to see guys pull back. I think there's load shedding, the, the second round effects of load shedding. Uh, obviously, we're seeing a platinum sector in demand. You know, we, I don't think we've really seen the brunt of this economic hit from load shedding on just on just general consumption. Um, obviously, it's been propped up, you know, with a lot of grants in the market. Uh, 33, what is it, 34 million people get a grant every month now, so that certainly does help. Uh, but again, you know, it's it's been a big drag on consumption and a big drag on profitability. And I think a lot of businesses, you know, have had to look at their cost base extensively. And unfortunately, when your costs go up, salaries come down because people need to make a, an economic profit for shareholders. In the first place, they cut again, is, uh, is, on their, is on their wage bill. So I think, yeah, Heineken will take a longer-term view of it. Uh, what has surprised me of the likes of Ford, which has come in the main additional investments in South Africa, uh, you know, that was a big investment, which did surprise me coming to the South African market. So you know, it's not all fall down. It's not con- complete doom and gloom. Uh, but again, this load shedding is a big issue for corporates requiring, you know, 24-7 power. Evan Walker, thank you for your wise analysis. The, he is with uh, 361 Asset Management. And yes, it's always good to remember that, yes, while there may have been a write-down of the value of the investment, there are other companies that, despite the real rigors and difficulties, I mean, Panyaza got it all wrong yesterday at the State of the Province address, didn't he? I think he was building a new railway line to East London to help, um, to, to help Ford. Uh, Ford manufactures um, just north of Pretoria, Roslyn. Um, and it does have components which come into the Ngoha port 
just outside Kawaha, and they get um, engine blocks, for example, which are rough cut in the UK. They put them onto big train tr- uh, onto trucks in uh, at the port at Mocha, and then rail them up to uh, Pretoria, where or to Roslyn, um, and then assemble the Ford Ranger trucks, and then put them back on the trains and send them all the way back down to the coast for export. And that, that as far as I can tell, is working okay, um, despite the vagaries of Transnet. But yo, we make it difficult. We make it so flippin' difficult for foreign investors. We keep telling them they must come. We keep telling them they must come and create jobs. We keep telling them that they must come and bring their money. And then we don't provide the networks they need in order to really entice them to stay. Yes, they've got big incentives, particularly in the motor industry, um, to manufacture here. Otherwise, they wouldn't. We are uh, in, uh, not exactly the most convenient part of the world when it comes to, to managing imports and exports. Uh, we're, we're a long way away from many of the world's more lucrative markets from a manufacturing perspective. So, yes, the incentives have got to be good in order to do it. They're tough. It is really, really tough to do business in quite a, a dysfunctional South African environment.